Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. She said, we get the same questions over and over and over again. Of course you do. And what I said on television yesterday was most of these things that I went to yielded nothing. They were rather benign and yielded nothing. But every once in a while, John McEnroe walked in the room. And that was the 4th of July. John McEnroe (laughs) sat down and he jumped on the couch and analyzed himself. And it was, as they say on Seinfeld, gold, Jerry. That was gold. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty, then. Let me give you the schedule for this week. We will do shows Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday this week to accommodate everybody's in and out on the week. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. I have always felt that the greatest television show I ever saw in sports was the tape delay of the Indianapolis 500 years years back. And I think it was with um, McKay and Jackie Stewart, I think think they did it more than it am i right on that jackie stewart did it with mckay jim mckay i think yes. anyway they do the, they right. do it live they've been doing it live for 25 years and it's one of those things sort of like the daytona 500 that i always make sure to watch a few minutes of just a few minutes of i know when it's going to run and i watch a few minutes i got very lucky yesterday in that i watched the last 10 laps of the Indianapolis 500 while going back and forth with the golf and the basketball. And I watched the last 10 laps. And in the last two laps, Helio Castroneves um, made this great pass. The, the, other, the guy who was ahead of him. By the way, these cars, they don't look anything like NASCAR. It's so different looking. These are so sleek and futuristic, and they look like little bubbles as they run around the track. And they're going much, much faster than NASCAR. And it's, it's an amazing thing. Liz Clark is going to talk about this later because Roger Penske, much to my surprise, bought the Indianapolis 500 a couple of years ago. I didn't think he could do that, but he did. We'll talk to Liz about that and Naomi Osaka and Ashley Barty and stuff like that. But in this particular move, Castroneves passed on the inside of the guy who was leading the race. Those two were significantly ahead of other people. And then they were going so fast that after the straightaway on the last lap, they ran into traffic. They ran into slower cars. And Castroneves had to keep his eye on the guy behind him and the people in front of him and try to weave through and affect winning the race. And he did. And it was was just, it was thrilling. You know, I mean... Now, when he made this move, did he hold his hand out, mimicking the actual turns like you do on the Beltway? No, no, he didn't. (laughs) No, thank you for reminding me of that. No, he didn't do that. It's a left ahead. Yeah. So he, but he, at the end, he was overcome with joy because he, he's one of the oldest drivers to ever win the race. It's his fourth time winning, which I think ties him for the most Indy victories. I suspect with AJ Foyt and maybe other people. I'm not sure that. Um, and his delight was palpable in the pits. It was really sort of interesting. And I, I don't know who did the call. I, it did none of that mattered to me. Seeing it live for just a few minutes was wonderful. And it, I just like to do that. I don't know anything. I've covered it a couple of times, but I don't. Is this know one anything. of those unofficial starts of the summer for you? You just every year at this time Memorial you Day. To it? Yeah, Memorial Day. Except that in Washington D.C. yesterday it was forty-eight degrees, so it was the unofficial start of late fall. You know, because it was been so cold. Now it's a nicer day this today. This morning did have a September feel. To yeah, it. it's cold. Um, it had t- today is nicer than the last few days that have been just miserably cold and gray and damp and and you know sort of 
like England. You know, just it just was. now the visuals of the race. Were you moved at all by seeing the sheer volume of people? Or I didn't or notice been it. Prepped enough by, by I didn't notice games it. and no, okay. I didn't even notice it. I, I had my eyes on the track. Thousand, right? It's the largest crowd since the beginning of the pandemic, and I'm sure there were no masks. Although there were some masks in the pits, you know. I you know who knows who's wearing masks and not wearing masks, and if they're doing it for affect or they're doing it for health and science. I don't, I don't even know anymore, and I don't want to get involved with the governor of Texas, you know, or, or anything like that. But I, I just enjoyed, I enjoyed, that was enough of the race for me to see the conclusion. Sometimes these races are disappointing because they finish under a cautionary flag. And so you hold your position. Um, I think in NASCAR, they try to make it so even if that's the case, they give you one lap of speed. Yeah, one final burst. And, and that's almost unfair because they allow everybody to catch up and pile up. And so somebody in fifth or sixth or seventh has as good a shot as somebody in second. And the guy in first doesn't have the margin that he, I think, is supposed to have. But in any case, I just wanted to mention that for those of you out there who watched the Indianapolis 500, you had a kindred spirit in me. And as I say, I was going back and forth with golf and, and, and things like that. But I did want to mention that. I also wanted to mention that, and I don't understand this, because I'm not a scientist, or a, what are the bug people called? Eti- etymologists are they the bug people? What are they called? Entomologists, I believe. Entomologists. Okay. Etymologists is something ankle. else. Yeah, that would be great. There have been no cicada noises, but we see the cicadas. We just yeah. don't hear the cicadas. We don't. There's no. Well, the last two or three days, there's no cicada noises. It, and I so just, Carol said to me, maybe they're all dead. No, they're not all dead. They've got cold. weeks to run. Have you noticed it? No noise. Yeah, it's the, it's the cold weather. It, it makes them slow well, down. It? it was, it it makes their their bodies slow down or whatever, they, and they they get very lethargic and, and and sort of sit around on the ground at this point, being oh. wait, waiting to be eaten by dogs and birds and things like that. Well, yeah. Chessie has begun the feast. It's <laughs> it's not good. I mean, she's now. Chessie was a happy dog yesterday in the backyard. She was happy. She she the kids were over. We have and- never seen so many squ- uh, cicadas per square <laughs> foot as in Dad's backyard, and they just they're hiding in the grass. And she was eating them just hoovering them as the boys are going no chessy no no chessy no <laughs> and but she didn't throw up oh well, she didn't good. throw up this probably Not settles yet. her stomach this yeah. is to counteract all the plastic, plastic sheets with the frisbees <laughs> so yeah i thought she'd vomit a few times and she did not which sort of surprised me and delighted me actually but i haven't heard the noise so that is the scientific explanation it makes them lethargic so that by the end of the week when it's in the 80s we will hear them again in in all their fervor yes yeah a different yes. variant of the cicada what do you mean? A stronger cicada. You don't. Well, it's been it's been laying quiet now for two or three days. It's weathered. But these, these are the same cicadas. Yeah, you'd think. Well, well, you just said they weren't. You said they were a variant. <laughs> I just tried to flatten the curve, Dad. I just. <laughs> oh, I don't try to do my part. Okay. Um, the rock and roll world lost uh, somebody. I just I'm just reading about this. Somebody that I personally like very 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 much, particularly. Two or three songs that I liked very, very much. B.J. Thomas uh, died at his home in Texas, complications from cancer. He is most known, B.J. Thomas, for the song um, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, which is the soundtrack of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is one of the 10 greatest movies ever made. There's just no doubt about this. It's a William Goldman movie. He wrote the script for it. It's the first time, I think it was the first time, I think The Sting was the second time, the yeah. collaboration between Paul Newman and Robert Redford. 
Um, it's it's great from beginning to end. Uh, the scene in which Robert Redford um, and what's what's her name, the beautiful Catherine Ross. Catherine Ross. When Catherine Ross reveals herself to Robert Redford, and then you find out that they've been together for quite some time, it's just one of the great, beautiful scenes in movies ever. And the thing that so many people remember is "Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head," in which Paul Newman is riding around, frontwards, backwards, upside down on a bicycle, on a big eighteen hundreds bicycle, uh, and he is B.J. Thomas is most famous for that. His first song, he was a child. His first song, um, he did a song called I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. It's a very, very mournful song, uh, and it's about you know him watching a train go by. It's a cover of a Hank Williams song, and it made him a big star. Uh, he also had a song called Hooked on a Feeling, a much faster song that was covered by this terrible Swedish group called Blue Swede. It's just terrible. <laughs> just an awful song in which they go, Ooga-chooka, Ooga-chooka. It just stinks. <laughs> but his song, his song is great. Um, his Hooked on a Feeling is great. But my favorite B.J. Thomas song is a song called Rock and Roll Lullaby that had virtually no play in the mid to late 60s. And it's my favorite B.J. Thomas song. So if people like that and listen to it, I guess that would make me happy. We lost him. I don't usually spend a lot of time on people that we lose, people that maybe you haven't even heard of, but I wanted to do that. As I said, we will, Michael Wilbon will join us. Liz Clark has a lot of stuff in the paper that we're going to talk about. Ashley Barty's story, Roger Penske's story, the follow-up on Naomi Osaka, who has apparently been challenged and warned not to do this by the French Open and other uh, majors as well and has responded uh, with a fallback position, it's my mental health. This is the new, if you listen to Kyrie Irving, this is, and I'm not talking about the water bottle incident in which you take the guy out, you take away his tickets, you never let him in again, and you prosecute yep. him, and yeah. you prosecute him. Yeah, and if he goes to jail, he goes to jail. You prosecute him. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Kyrie Irving's position on virtually everything is mental health. And this is what athletes talk about now, my mental health. Um, it's new. It's sort of novel. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed that they do that. Uh, I don't, me personally, I don't, I think of mental health issues in different ways than athletes responding to fans or responding to the media. I think of mental health as, I think of this as somewhat frivolous, but I can be talked off it. You know, somebody can come around and tell me about it and talk me off it. And I will say, you know what? I was wrong in my initial assessment of this, and I'm certainly willing to listen to the other assessment, and I'm going to go on that side of the street. you know. But this is a new thing, uh, mental health. So we'll talk about that with, with Liz Clark, and we will have Michael Wilbon when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. Summer begins this month. You know what that means. It's time to save on life insurance, this month being June. So we've jumped the gun by one day. So summer begins tomorrow. We'll allow it. Yeah, and you know what that means. It's time to save on life insurance. That way you'll have a bigger budget for summer things like pool floats and hard seltzers. <laughs> hard seltzers have now become a summer thing. Fantastic. Between Father's Day, Flag Day, and National Yo-Yo Day, as Yo-Yo Ma is honored. The month of June has a lot going on. Thankfully, Policy Genius makes it easy to cross life insurance off your list so you can get back to yo-yoing. 
if someone relies on your family, on your financial support, whether it's a child, aging parent like me, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes for over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Because you can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You can save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance company. So you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. Getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and you can compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Standing on the edge of crazy, waiting on you. Everything about you makes me want to be with you. This is Ralph Rillen. This is called The Edge of Crazy. (laughs) It's pretty good. He writes, I'm a local musician performing at various venues throughout the DMV. Long listening little going back to reading your Washington Post articles. Appreciate it. Enjoyed the radio show and now the podcast. And yes, I use the code. This is terrific. Edge of Crazy, Ralph Rillen. You can listen to it as you can listen to all the original music without me yapping at the end of the show. He plays in Michael Wilbon, and we will talk about a bunch of things, but let's start with the NBA playoffs because we now have a sense of the NBA playoffs. Everybody's played at least three games. Most people have played four games. And so the the first question, I mean, I'm I'm not ever surprised if things go to 2-2. I'm not, although a bunch of them have not gone to 2-2. So what is, if there is a surprise for you, which is the biggest surprise? Oh, there's no question. Miami getting swept yeah. by Milwaukee yeah. is the biggest surprise. Um, we were talking about the finalists last year. And a team that, a franchise that has still got the personality of the guy who runs the team, Pat Riley. And <laughs> I... I I thought that was going to be a series of two, two series, Tony. It's not that I thought Miami was necessarily going to beat Milwaukee. I just, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see this coming at all. And so that's, I think the only surprise once the, I mean, Luka Doncic, who is going to be MVP if he gets his personality together one day. Um, I think the Dallas Mavericks up 2-0 at home were were leading like 30 to 11 in game three. Yes. And Doncic starts screaming. He's just, he thinks he's clowning the Clippers. And after that, um, during the next stretch, in which they took over not just the game, but ultimately the series, even though it was 2-2, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard hit 18 of the next 22 shots combined. And that was that. And talk about karma. Now Doncic, I mean, this series is still about managing injuries like the whole basketball season. So... Doncic was hurt. Couldn't I mean he wasn't himself last night. After averaging like thirty eight, he had like I don't know eighteen or nineteen points. So that that is not surprising that it's two two. It's surprising it's two two after it was two zero. 
with uh, Dallas winning both games in Los Angeles. So that series now plays out. But yeah, just one series, Tony. The, the, the Miami Heat getting just clobbered um, is a shock to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would look at the Wizards if they lose 4-0 to Philadelphia and be surprised by that. But I no. agree with you no. because Miami was so good last year. And we talked the other day, and you asked a question that I think I will turn back on you. Does that result say more about Miami or more about Milwaukee? I think I think as we go forward, it may say more about Milwaukee. Then Milwaukee is more the team now that we thought they were going to be two years ago and last year. Then you know, then it says about anything about Miami. Maybe I mean, we'll see. But maybe Milwaukee, which is the what the third seed, um, and they're going to get a shot at Brooklyn next. I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, if they really play Brooklyn tough and it's a six or seven game series, or if they somehow, you know, have the resolve to beat Brooklyn, then we're going to look back and say, yep, 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 yep. Milwaukee is now what we thought they'd be before. I will be stunned, stunned if Brooklyn loses. I just, I looked at them, you know, I checked in on them here and there. I mean, for the whole playoffs. I mean, I think they are discernibly and demonstrably the best team. I do. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, I, 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 I do. Don't, I, don't, they, I, don't, I don't know that yet. I mean, I gotta, I, this mm-hmm. Milwaukee thing is going to be a test. The Celtics aren't really a test without their second best player. And they That's did, right. The Celtics That's did right. get a game. I mean, it's 3-1, yeah. but they got a game. And yeah. really without two of their three best players. And you're not going to win without two of, th- of your three best players if you're Boston. You just aren't. The Boston wasn't going to win with all three of his best players. That's but, right. Um, you know, missing your point guard, missing Jalen Brown. I, I gotta see. I gotta. I, I think I believe what you believe about Brooklyn Tony. I think I do. But this Milwaukee series may just sort of say, "Hold on, hold on, Sparky, hold on, you two. Let's see what. Let's see yeah. what they really got against a team against another team's role." So I looked at these things going in, and I thought Utah and Phoenix were very vulnerable, particularly Phoenix. I thought, I thought, and I still think, well, I'm going to hedge this bet a little bit that, that the Lakers are going to beat Phoenix because Anthony Davis is hurt again. Uh, we have friends in Los Angeles, and they refer to Anthony Davis as Anthony, he'll be reevaluated in two weeks, Davis. He's hurt yeah. all the time. You know what, kids? Yeah. You can't count on him. If he's out there healthy, playing well, he's great. But you can't count on him the next game, ever. Ever. And you know, this is this is even, his history. Not even you that can't. game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. That, right, you're right. So if you ask me which is the more important loss, Chris Paul being hurt but continuing to play, or Anthony Davis just being out, I would tell you it's Anthony Davis just being out. You are very close with Chris Paul. You root for Phoenix. I understand that. I do. Um and you had a sense that they could even the series on Sunday, on yes, yesterday, and they did. Going forward now, I guess the favoritism shifts back to Phoenix, right? Well, yeah. I'm not even with Chris Paul healthy. They were not favored by Vegas, nor by most of the Basque NBA community. People thought that you know, the Lakers were going to win. But Tony, Chris Paul, they got Game One. Even though Chris Paul got hurt in the second quarter, they got Game One, and they really, they really had Game Two. I mean, because the Lakers came out and just jumped them for, in a street fight. 
and the Suns were up for the street fight. They mm-hmm. were. I, they lost a they lost a one essentially a one position game without Chris Paul. Chris Paul was out there, but he couldn't be. He couldn't even Tony couldn't even handle the ball with his right hand. He had to handle it with his left. The difference is now Chris Paul had 20 points in the series in the first three games. He had 18 points yesterday, nine assists. And here's the most telling number: no, no turnovers, no turnovers. None. Yeah, against right. against a defense that wanted to swallow him all because they right. went after him because he was injured. LeBron guarded him late in the game, and Chris Paul was Chris Paul and said, "Big boy, I love you. We're close friends. Get the hell off me. I'm coming for you." And the Suns, now that the Suns have been wounded and fought back to 2-2, is much more important than if they had won two games at home. The, the, the Suns are the best road team by record in the NBA this year. Utah, too. And I think, yes, look, it, you're playing against LeBron James. I'm not going to get crazy here. But, mm-hmm. yes, I favor the Phoenix Suns now. I think the Suns win game five. And we'll see and if Anthony Davis is not out there. I think the Suns can take it to the Lakers tomorrow night here. I agree with that. Um, Anthony Davis, and you can't, and I'm sorry, you can't, it's Steven Strasburg. It's Steven Strasburg. He's great when he's out there. He's not out there all the time. Yeah. What is the most important vil- ability? It's availability. And, and yeah. you know, you have friends in LA who just don't trust. It's not that they don't like him. It's just that they can't count on him ever, ever. No, so, no. Let me get to one other thing. Yeah, let me get to one other thing with the playoffs. These playoffs are all four out of seven. They used to be two out of three, three out of five, four out of seven. And they're now all four out of seven. You can't go four, three in every single one and win the championship, in my opinion. You got to have a four, one here and there. Don't, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yes, Tom. Yes, I think that it's really hard. First of all, I don't think they can win anyway. But if the Lakers have to go 4-3 with this, listen, Tony, the first three games of the series, and I'm watching these games in person. I'm actually there. LeBron couldn't turn the corner on his ankle. He couldn't. And right. so if LeBron James is big and as strong as he is, Ramona asked him yesterday, Ramona Shelburne asked a great question. She said, LeBron, I am not going to dare call you old. And as, but as broad as your shoulders are, can you carry this? And LeBron, you know, the long series, carry this team, no Anthony Davis. And LeBron's answer, because he knows who, again, he might have snapped or just dismissed somebody he didn't know, but obviously he knows Ramona. And he just said, no, no, these, these shoulders are big enough to carry this. I, I, I want my guys out there, but, and it was an interesting answer, though, Tone, and it feeds into what you're asking me now. Ah, man, is anybody big and strong enough and deep enough and just sheer talented enough? No to think they can do what Magic Johnson and Kareem did one year, which was go 7-7-7, seven, seven, seven. Ah, that's going to be so really hard. hard. I think Maybe the Nets can. Maybe the Nets. But I, don't, I, don't think, I don't know that anybody can. Well, the Nets aren't going to have to. I mean, it's, just, it's as simple as no, that. No, the Nets are going 4-1 to, on no. the first one. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. you know, they, yeah. they don't have to do it. Um, let's, let's move over. We, don't, we rarely talk about the NHL. We, we rarely talk about it. Your team, Chicago, <coughs> excuse me, wasn't any good. Hasn't been any good for a couple of years. Uh, Capitals went out early, so I, I'm not involved in it. But they have something this year that, that you mentioned the other, other day on TV and that I think is worth talking about. Because of the pandemic, they rearranged their regular season schedule and rearranged 
how the playoffs would be formatted. And you don't like it. Explain what it is, and you don't like it, and I don't either. It's just it's, it's division only. It's division playoffs, literally. That's what they're doing. And so you saw these teams play each other 11 times, I think. Uh, most of them played 11 at all. 11 times against each other. And Nobody went outside game. of the division. Nobody right. went outside of the division for even one game. I got yeah. so tired of seeing the Blackhawks play the Panthers and the Lightning. First of all, it's the best division. And so we had to play in that division. And I think the Blackhawks may be a pretty good already rebuilt team going into next year. Maybe not. But, Tony, in Canada, they might have liked it to a greater degree. Might have. And it was necessary. But, Tony, the playoffs have no interest to in me. I'm tired of seeing these teams play each other. No interest. I'm not. And I, I love postseason hockey, and I watch. And I watch the Capitals um, every, all but one game. So I watch four of their five games, or at least chunks of them. The only series I care about is still going on, and it's game seven. I guess tonight, Montreal and Toronto. Canadians. Montreal, Toronto. Yeah, that, Canadians, Toronto. That, to me, has the juice of Dodgers-Padres. Like, I want to see game seven. Um, that's a series right. between two... I mean, let's face it, those are the two most important franchises in the history of the NHL. And Toronto hasn't done squat 100%. in 50 years. So I'm, yeah. I'm into that. Since and I'm glad that's being played. But the rest of the tone, as I told you last night, I just can't get me. It can't get me on the, you know, these guys playing for the 16th or 17th time this season already. So I, they got to get away from that in the NHL immediately. So um, I'll get you out of here on this. Liz Clark will be on later and we'll talk more extensively. But Naomi Osaka, uh, the French Open yeah. has warned her that this is a very bad idea. And the other majors, I think, may be joining in on this. And Naomi Osaka has returned fire by saying uh, nobody likes change and anger is just a function of misunderstanding. You and I, uh, we wouldn't have been able to make a living if we had no access to athletes. I mean, because in the period of time when we were sports writers, people legitimately expected us to tell us what athletes were saying and thinking. And we did. And that's how we defined our lives. We went to all of these things. The overwhelming majority of press conferences yield very, very little, but every once in a while something does and you go and people play the game on both sides of the street, the writers and the athletes. And she doesn't want to do it. And she's a pretty big star. What do you make of it? Well, I hate it for reasons that nobody else cares about. I hate the stance she's taking. I don't even hate the stance. I hate the results. Naomi Osaka has been on the scene for a couple of years. She was almost instantly my favorite player, male or female. Because if you watch those press conferences, I do because I don't cover tennis anymore. She is brilliant. She is still young. What is she, 22, 23? She's brilliant. She's insightful. She shares real stuff. She actually says stuff. This ain't most teams play hard, my man. Both teams play hard. This is not that. <laughs> Naomi Osaka has stuff to say, right? This isn't, you know, 50% of This isn't Andy Reid coming out reading the injury report the moment after they win the NFC title game or AFC title game. This is not that. Naomi Osaka will talk about anything. She's great at it. There's silence in the room. I've probably been in a room with her maybe once. When I'm listening, when I watch, there's silence because she commands the room. 
And yet she doesn't want to do this for reasons that I don't get her. Even the reasons that she gives, they don't make sense to me relative to her intellect and the depth of her intellect. And so it, it saddens me to just that because I don't care what most tennis players have to say. I care about her. And it hurts the sport. It hurts people who are not going to follow her on Instagram. I'm not going to follow her on Instagram. She's 22 years old. I don't care about her Instagram posts. Like, I mean, I actually do care about some of them because she will, I mean, in the social justice space, yo, she is almost alone in her, I mean, just in her resolve and in her, um, her brilliance in talking about it and addressing major issues. I love Naomi Osaka, period. And then, like, she's going to tell me I don't have access to her thoughts because I don't follow her on Instagram. I mean, I'm sure that works for Matthew. That doesn't work for me. And apparently it doesn't work for tennis because people have come back and they said, you know, I may support her right to do this, but I'm in a sport that needs this even now, this interaction, this mainstream media interaction. And she may be so cutting edge that she doesn't care about that and thinks it's marginal. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Because again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna follow her. I do I follow any tennis players. I, I think Tony tennis is a sport where I don't tennis may be the only sport where I don't of the main sports where I don't follow a single person on social media at all ever. I follow Wayne Gretzky. I mean, I you know there you know I follow you know uh, Connor McDavid. I follow mm-hmm. a couple people because I want to hear what their deal is. I want to see what they're like personally. I don't follow. And yes, I do. I follow Danica Patrick. So maybe you can call her former race car, maybe, but she's still in this, in the industry. I don't know that I follow anybody in tennis. And so this is a big deal. Uh, the Grand Slam tournament seemed to be saying, hold on there. We're not going with this. And other tennis players, again, who have supported her right to do it, don't seem to support her doing it. So I don't know where this is going. I hope it doesn't, I hope this doesn't come to a point that says she gets like forfeiting a match. It's insane. Cause, because Tony, this is not like an objection to, to speaking. This is not Marshawn Lynch. The only soccer's got stuff to say. And I like to hear her say it. Okie dokie. All right. We'll talk. Thanks, Mike. All right, Tom. Have a good Michael one. Have a good Memorial day. Yeah. Michael Wilbon in his car in Phoenix, Arizona, where today by 10 o'clock Phoenix time, It'll be triple digits. I checked this out last night. Now, he'll tell you, oh, I'm in North Scottsdale. It's a lot cooler. Okay, it'll be 98. Okay, we'll take a break. Uh, Liz Clark will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Zip Recruiter ad. If you're a business owner who's hiring, you probably face a lot of challenges when it comes to finding the right person for your role. Maybe not enough applicants with the right skills or experience too many resumes to sort through. That's why hiring can feel uh, like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you do is hope that the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. 
So while other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony. Once again, remember to go to this unique place because this is how they, they track if you're listening to us, ZipRecruiter.com slash T-O-N-Y. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm here a week, then see you later. According to the latest data, it's a once every 17 year dance of the cicada. Midsummer <laughs> 2004, Red Sox wouldn't win nevermore. John Kerry was sure to beat W. LeBron James seemed pretty good at basketball. It's a once every 17 year dance of the cicada. 87 was a pretty nice summer. The Bengals wipe like an Egyptian. Crows that cured your bummer. Iran Contra cause a conniption. It's a once every 17 year dance of the cicada. This is the great Dan Byrne, who writes, No visit by the cicadas would be complete without an accompanying song. I hope Bootsy and the Hammer will enjoy this as they wreak mayhem on the cicada horde. The Dance of the Cicada Song by Dan Byrne, which you can hear in its brilliance and in its entirety when I'm done yapping on this show. <laughs> Michael, if people like Dan Byrne want to send in this great music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykonezershow.com. I think Chessie's now celebrating with the boys. Yes. Cicada, another <laughs> cicada. <laughs> Liz Clark joins us now. I said at the beginning how much I enjoy watching the last 10 laps of the Indianapolis 500, and I said that Helio Castroneves uh, had four now, and he tied at least... A.J. Foyd, he also tied uh, Rick Mears and Al Unser Sr. And we will get to that because of my fascination with the fact that Roger Penske bought the track, which I didn't even know was for sale. We'll get to that eventually. But we're going to have to start with Liz Clark and the Naomi Osaka thing. You heard Will Bond give his opinion about why this is a bad move by Naomi Osaka because Mike thinks she's really smart and wants to hear from her and doesn't want to follow her on Instagram. Um, Liz, what is the response by the French Open, do they have solidarity with the other majors? Uh, what is the response by Naomi Osaka? And ultimately, can you see uh, a circumstance in which a player of this stature would get bounced from the tournament? Mm. Um it's so good to hear your voice and the cicada song and all this. And we're starting with the most difficult issue um, as, as is appropriate. Um, so the French, it was Wednesday that Naomi Osaka posted on social media that she would not be doing any press throughout the French Open um, to, to sort of safeguard her mental health. Um, the French Open did not formally respond until she played her first match, you know, kicking in the obligation then begins to, yeah. to go to the post-match press conference, which she skipped. So it came with quite a lengthy statement that notably was co-signed by the heads of the three other Grand Slams. I don't recall any such statement of solidarity of all the slams uh, it, well, I just don't recall it, but so it's pretty unusual. Um, and it was both uh, expressed empathy, concern, awareness, and eagerness to help, 
any athlete struggling with mental health issues. Um, but then it pivoted pretty quickly and said, and now we fine you $15,000 for violating this aspect of the code of conduct. And we remind you, in effect, that um, the sanctions will escalate, you know, if there are continued violations, and it could lead to a suspension. Um, so, you know, it, it was a big wow. I mean, there, so they, they came very hard, even though it was couched in compassion. I should mm-hmm. say they also made clear that they reached this decision after having reached out to to Osaka and her team to discuss this further. How could they help? What could they do? So um, in their telling, the, the days prior, they had tried to learn more, conceivably work out a solution, and they got no response. Um, so so they came with the fine. And then what, what struck me is an unnecessarily heavy-handed uh, boom reminder that I think comes off to many as bullying to say, yeah, and you could be disqualified if you keep this up. Do you think she would be? Do you think anybody would boot her? I really hope and have to believe that um, the parties here are going to come to some sort of compromise. She next plays on Tuesday. Um, I don't know how many successive rungs there are in the fine ladder before it gets to a DQ. Um, But there is just way too much at stake for her and for tennis for this to, to end in a stalemate with this, the absurd solution of disqualifying the world's number two player, uh, its its biggest star on the global stage, uh, an athlete who is widely admired, um, not only for her game, but her for her comportment, um, for the courage she is finding to raise issues of social justice in particular. She is so beloved. So even those athletes, fellow athletes who don't share her point of view on this or who, who, who are not saying she's right. Um, they're not, they're, they're expressing great respect for her. You know, no one's really going at her harshly. Um, but I, so the idea that this would end in a DQ, it would be an epic fail by the slams to not reach some sort of, um, compromise. And it would be really a fail by her advisors, everyone who has her ear about let's, let's, you know, keep your interests as, as an athlete front and center. And how are we going to make this work? And, 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 you know, keep you in the best possible frame of mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the question for me. And I think you've just answered it is, playing this out down the road, what is the level of support for this act by this athlete among other tennis players? Mm. What other, Mm. you know, what do they do? Where is that? I read some quotes, uh, you know, Rafael Nadal, for example, Mm -hmm. said, look, this is what we do. We, you know, this is how tennis works. You know, we, we go out and we have these conversations. Uh, It's not onerous. Um, So I don't know if, if I don't know what her level of support is as we move down the road. 
Um, I think within the tennis community, in other words, among other tennis players, um, she's regarded so fondly and so with great respect. Um, but I'm not hearing other athletes say, I stand with Naomi on this issue, and I, too, will mm-hmm. not be doing press conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, part of that, you, you might have to be old enough to remember when um, Billie Jean King started the Women's Tennis Tour, um, the and they were begging for press coverage. That's and right. it was just understood, whether it's Chris Everett, Billie Jean, every woman, that we we will meet with the press any time. We will answer any question. And, and in some respects, you see this with the U.S. women's soccer team, which just crushes the world year after year. They demand media coverage. They want media coverage. The goalkeeper lets in a goal. She is in, in the mix zone, and she'll tell you why. You know, uh, Megan Rapino, you know, will answer every question. You know, team sport dynamics are different because it's this built-in, yes. we all have each other's back. So, um, and so there are many athletes, particularly female athletes, who have fought long and hard for broadcast time, media coverage, and it is still far from equitable, far from, and, and as a participant in many tennis press conferences, many at Grand Slams, and I'm sure you can identify, you know, there are times other reporters ask questions. You want to, like, crawl under the table. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is my profession. This is so embarrassing. Um, it's often just because the question is lame or stupid, um, n- not so much, you know, you're attacking the person. As press conferences go, tennis press conferences are quite you know, formal and moderated and you hold up your hand and you're called on and you get one question, maybe two. So it's not like anything like the scene uh, people might see in a locker room of a big media scrum and reporters screaming out questions. Um, it's a very controlled situation. Yeah. Um, did I answer your question? So no, yes, I, you, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of support uh, for Naomi because she's beloved by athletes maybe in other sports or fans who 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 probably don't see the point of press conferences and think, you know, uh, or are eager to paint media with a, a broad brush of their bottom feeders, clickbaits, and they just want to provoke. And some do, but most don't. Sure. I mean, my experience was I most agree. don't. Let me, you wrote uh, long pieces about Roger Penske and Ashley Barty. Um hmm. Both of which I like very much. I'll start with Barty because it dovetails with Naomi Osaka. She left the tour to uh, find happiness. Um, You know, and you quoted someone named, I want to get this right, Nero Jayanthan. Nero Jayanthan? Jayanthi, yes. Okay. Um, As saying that uh, more people are going to do this in the future. Uh, I'm going to tell you who's not going to do it. People on team sports are not going to do it in the future. Exactly. They're yeah. not going to do it at all, but this is an individual sport. What do you make of of this, of what Ashley Barty did? Uh, and in fact, in fact, can she get back to her position as number one in the world, you know, in, in a meaningful way? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's certainly unconventional and because tennis – you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, you know, until recently, the whole point is just grind, 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 even as the calendar grows. The off-season in tennis is like four weeks, you know, maybe 
maybe almost two months. It's very, very short. And the way the ranking system is structured, you have to play an enormous amount. You know, you're penalized for sitting out. Let's take the pandemic aside because they kind of froze the rankings for that. So you go against your self-interest in a lot of ways by just hitting the pause button and say, I need three months off. I need six months off. In her case, it was almost two years um, when she was 18 years old. So there is that risk. But that's when players were done in their mid-20s, like Borg, you know, way before his time. He was just done, not because of any injury. He just lost his joy, I I think he would tell you. Um, But now you have... Uh, Federer, Nadal, most famously Venus and Serena. Serena at 39, cusp of 40, is going for a 24th major. And, you know, Serena and Venus really were pioneers on this. They are the ones who took time off um, and, and were getting a lot of grief for it. It's like, aren't you committed to the game? You know, they didn't feel compelled to answer why. They did other things. Um, or And, and, you're getting you're getting the reward on the back end of your career, you know, with a longer career quite quite often, whether it's because you've spared your body that pounding or you've you've called a pause when it becomes just drudgery and you you've lost sight of why you sacrifice so much. And and for some going without it, trying other things and in her case in Barty's case, trying cricket, you know, trying a team sport. She loved that. It was a total change-up. But she actually missed, oh, my God, I missed the, like, mano a mano. I, I want to test myself as an athlete against one other person, and tennis gives me that, and I'm all in. And she came back, and she's now number one. She also took one of the longer breaks during the pandemic. I mean, her 2020 mm-hmm. season lasted two months. Um, she was done in February. Wait, she never came back. And it's like, no, I'll stay in Australia. Part of that because it's super hard in Australia. If she left, she wasn't going to be able to come back because of its super tight um, restrictions. But it was also a choice, an affirmative choice. I'm good staying home. Um, And she's an exceptional athlete. So she is now number one. Um, and, uh, and, And she's one of the few in this year's French Open who's won it. So she'll be interesting to watch. Is she a legitimate number one? I mean, has she ever won Wimbledon? Has she ever won the U.S. Open? The two that mean the most? She hasn't no, won them, she has, has she? She has right, won. So. So, that, so she has won the one Grand Slam, um, the French yeah. Open. It, yeah. When she, when the rankings were frozen uh, during the pandemic, and even, I think, for a time after, and she was able to retain number one. There were murmurs, and I think some people even wrote, you know, this is not a legitimate number one. She hasn't played in forever. You know, I I don't think this is credible. So when she returned in this year, this season, she won her first tournament, and she's won two others. So, you know, to answer that question today, yeah, she's a legitimate number one. She has backed it up, yeah. Let me move to Roger Penske, um, and I will say that Roger Penske, in his sport of auto Mm -hmm. racing, he's Jerry West. He's had the Mm -hmm. longest and greatest career as a driver, as an owner, as a designer, you know, I mean, everything. I mean, Roger Penske Mm -hmm. has done everything. 
I was stunned to read the story because I didn't know like the Indianapolis 500 was for sale. I didn't know how that worked. That yes. just seemed so crazy to me. Isn't it wild? Yeah, I mean, I didn't even sort of know it was owned. You know what I mean? Oh, and it yeah. Could, yeah. You know, I didn't, sort of I didn't like really. Sort like the Statue of Liberty or something. Or, yeah. I mean, it's a totally stretching. But this iconic piece of Americana, you, you kind of yeah. think must belong to everyone. But no. It, well, yeah. It, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, I mean, <laughs> were, yeah, were, were you stunned as well? And is Penske the right guy? Is he the right guy? So, yes and yes. But let me make super clear. So, the transaction happened in January 2020. It's, yeah, I didn't it's, even know. Yeah, yeah. And the, the deal to sell it um, was struck. It was first discussed super privately in September of 2019. They came to terms you know, verbal terms, handshake terms, um, in November of 2019. And that's when it was announced. And it was like, what? Um, I mean, no one was aware this was happening, that, that this was afoot. Um, e- even hardcore motorsports people, even people in the Penske Corporation, um, because I think he had like three advisors work on it. And then it didn't close until January 2020. So, I mean, as I process it, it and this may not mean anything to your listeners, it's kind of analogous to the sale of the Washington Post in that, you know, the Graham family never put the Post up for sale. It didn't say, we're, this is going to the highest right. bidder. Um, it was placed. It was, it was placed by, you know, the Graham family with, a person they felt would be a steward of the of the paper, not a hedge fund, you know, um, because they were looking for something more than a sales price. And that is exactly what the Holman family did. So since 1945, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway was owned by a family. You know, one, one businessman bought it, sort of saved it from almost demolition because it had sat fallow during World War II. Um, and, and since 45, it had been in one family's hands. And much like papers, you know, it's gone through successive generations of that family. Um, and the family was looking at the way forward and said, you know, it might be time, super privately, to, for us to, to bow out of this asset and put it in the hands of someone who can take care of it uh, for reasons of, you know, finances and passion and will be a steward, a caretaker. And that's what they were looking for. And that is why Penske was the brilliant choice um, because he has both. He has the pockets and, and kind of analogous to the post. The sales price was a song to me. It, 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 it's reportedly $300 million, And you get with that the entire IndyCar racing series. I mean, he's worth $2.4 billion, yeah, Mr. Penske. I, I should say this again. His success in this sport is unparalleled. Oh, yeah. It's, it's no, just, he's, he's won it. 18 Indy 500s no, as a car <laughs> owner with multiple drivers. And you go down the list of his drivers who won, it's like every famous driver you've ever heard of. Um, and then he also has a very successful NASCAR team. And then yes. you see his trucks up and down the road. I yes. mean, the, the essence of the And he was a driver. A, he was he a driver himself. He sure, it was quite accomplished uh, in, in road it's, racing. It's Jerry um, West. It is. It's Jerry yeah. West. It's 
it, it's he and he's super super self-made. I mean, he he borrowed money to buy his first car dealership in PA many years ago, and and he he's an extremely driven, meticulous, exacting. Um, uh, uh, patrician kind of figure and, and, and treats his people well, his employees well. So, you know, his organization is known as just rock solid uh-huh. and incredibly loyal and, and driven. And he, I believe he's 83 now, but he's got five kids and, you know, this is, this is his new legacy. It's it's one of the smaller assets in terms of value he has, but it's immediately the most front-facing, globally sure. recognized Shazam asset you could possibly have. Um, I'll get you out of here on this. I've seen the advertisements for this new racing league where NASCAR guys and Indy guys are going to drive the exact same cars the exact same cars, and they're going to put it on TV on Saturday nights. It looks pretty cool to me. I think I would watch it um, because they are the exact same cars. Do you feel – how is this being received? You know, I honestly don't know how it's received, but I'll tell you there's a, a longstanding precedent for this that was great in its day. It was called the IROC series. Now it was within NASCAR, although I remember Al, Al Unser Jr. ran it. It was open to anybody, but the IROC cars were identically prepared. Um, God, I hate to get the, the word wrong. I think it was a Camaro. I'm sure people will correct me if I'm wrong, but identically prepared race cars, and they raced um, primarily – maybe only at Daytona. And it was, so the idea was you take out all variables except driver skill. And that's always yeah. the question in racing. Yeah. Is, it, is it the car or the, or the driver? Is it the horse or the jockey? You know, so this is the great experiment. We make everything the same and then we'll see who can actually drive the car. And I love the IROC series. It was so wild. And naturally, uh, the late Dale Earnhardt won a ton of IROC races because he was just a badass. Um, so I love this. And then it, it, it didn't survive. So it's been a long time since that format has been tried. Um, so I think it's, I've always loved the concept. I, I'm frankly not sure who's behind this and, and how, how much money is behind it, how, how long it will be sustained and who's going to take part. But it's a totally cool idea. And I think at the same time you're seeing motorsports in all forms, whether it's open wheel, stock cars, you know, European, U.S. based. If the people in charge have half a brain, and we have to say that they do, you are in a way scared to death about the future of your industry because the automotive industry is going through seismic transformative change. You know, the world is not celebrating burning fossil fuels like it did for decades. You know, it's, it's not a good thing to be doing that. And, you know, can you race? Can you sell tickets to something with a hybrid engine, with an electric engine? I mean, where's the roar? Where's the thrill? So, I mean, there are a million questions about how motorsports keeps pace with, stays relevant to a changing automotive industry. And there is the, there has to be a connect because the money that fuels auto racing is the companies that, that sell cars. Um, so unless they can point to what you're doing as, as pioneering technology and serving their purposes, it, you know, 
it's yacht racing or something, you know, it's just some, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't really have a purpose. So I think no. you're going to see motorsports writ large, try some cool marketing things, whether it's, oh, we're going to race online, you know, or, you know, to, to try to get new audiences and show that they do more than just burn up fossil fuels. What a lovely treat for us to have you on today. Thank you so very much. Thank you. We'll talk soon. My I pleasure. Hope. Okay, Thanks. I Let's, hope. Bye-bye. Liz Clark, boys and girls. That was just great. We will come back with email and a jingle. Um, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. So have you ever browsed in incognito mode? I don't know what that is. This is the ExpressVPN read. <laughs> okay. It's probably not as incognito as you think, and why would it be? Incognito mode, like the Chrome browser itself, is a Google product, and Google has made its fortune by tracking your movements. Yes, that's right, your movements online. There's even, I added that. Yeah, Thanks. nice. There's even a $5 billion class action Tension lawsuit. in these things is good. Yeah, no, my heart's actually elevated yeah, right now yeah. against the company in California where it's accused of secretly collecting user data. Google's defense, incognito does not mean invisible. So how do you actually make yourself invisible as possible online? Use ExpressVPN. Turns out that in, in incognito mode, when you start to say it in repetition, it gets a little hard to say. Your online activity still gets tracked and data brokers still get to buy and sell your data. I'm a data broker. I got yeah. you, you and you. I'm still holding out on you. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server, and your IP address is masked. You have no clue what any of those terms mean. No, but I love the read so far. Every yeah. time you connect to ExpressVPN, you get a random IP address shared by many other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. I'm going to harvest your data. Best of all, <laughs> best of all, ExpressVPN is super easy to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tab one button for instant protection. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com Tony. Expressvpn.com slash Tony and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Tony. Go to expressvpn.com slash Tony to learn more. It's a very good read. I keep thinking that there should be just a special place for Richie incognito in these ads. <laughs> You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. It's the best. That's the University of Missouri marching band. It's so flattering that they have done that. So wonderful. Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, thank you, Mr. Tony. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go onto the interwebs and go to BethesdaBagel.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That just about will do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say Serpentine, Shelley. Serpentine. <laughs> That's from the in-laws. Made twice. Yes. Yes. Made twice, that movie. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Liz Clark. 
Thanks to our sponsors as well as ZipRecruiter, ExpressVPN, Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. So there was crackling when Liz was talking down the line, Sean. Will, will we hear that? Did you hear that as well? I, I heard like, a little of it. You, it, it was her phone connection got a little wonky there near the end. Okay. Oh, I right. thought she was walking. Yeah. From Jamie Edwards in Reedfield, Maine. When I worked in Hangzhou, China, my apartment was within a city block composed entirely of residential buildings. Each morning, some of the grandmothers within the block would place piles of cat food along the streets and alleyways that wound between the buildings. This food supported a population of quasi-domesticated cats. The cats were the wise old women's strategic defense initiative against mice and rats. It seemed to be effective as I never noticed any rodent problem in the area. The only issue I ever saw the cats cause occurred after one of the grandfathers tied his chicken to a tree outside my home office. <laughs> one of the cats found itself in a protracted internal debate over whether or not the chicken constituted food. After my own internal debate on philosophy, morality, and the duty to rescue, I walked outside and shooed the cat away. I have my money on Chicago's new cats. P.S. Mr. Tony didn't know that cats eat rats? Seriously, has Tony spent a single moment of his life in a place that was not paved? Not much of and it, six, no. Six dinner Sid. <laughs> uh, Brendan in Arlington. There's nothing more on brand than Mr. Tony doing reads for humanity's oldest invention, fire. What's next? This is the wheel read. This is the crop rotation read. <laughs> Listening to Mr. Tony soliloquy reduce humanity's greatest invention to a marshmallow toasting device was an all-timer. Prometheus wept. From Kenny Ray in Fort Walton Beach in Florida. I'm pretty sure all of the smart cicadas take the I-95 south to Boca. From Jerry Negrelli. This is important. This is important. The Littles are hosting a small gathering at Kilroy's on June 26th. The weekend we typically reserve for Jingle Fest. I'm going to arrange Jerry Wright's some TK trivia and other games. If there are any prize closet treasures held over anywhere like expired Chinese meat, I'd love to give some of that junk out to the littles. So that's June 26th at Kilroy's. From Chris Brown, the official steel farmer of the Tony Kornheiser Show. In answer to your question about the breadth of the cicada inf infestation, yes, we do have cicadas in Norwood, Ohio, and they have been our 17-year guests since 1800. While they do not affect the steel crop, they do affect the Cincinnati Reds. In eight seasons played with cicadas, the Reds are 633 and 553, with a World Series win, two National League pennants, and two second-place finishes. We also celebrate cicadas with T-shirts, cicada-shaped cakes, and cicada cookies. The local Snappy Tomato Pizza Parlor even has a catchy jingle of Snap Snap Snappy Cicada Pizza. Mmm. They do not actually put cicadas on the pizza. I personally enjoy hitting cicadas with a tennis racket or watching them get plastered all over Subaru. From David Reedman, PhD student at the Department of Sociology at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Please keep your cicadas on the mainland. They are not welcome in the Aloha State. From Leslie Thomas, if we are marking on a map as to where are cicadas, Please note that here in sunny Hillsboro, North Carolina, there are no cicadas. We did have a very long cold spring, but are now deep in the heat of late spring and still no cicadas, though ever hopeful. From Greer Henderson, when you announced the cicada lottery winners by state today, I rolled my eyes. Of course, I'll learn the day before I leave cicada-free Atlanta to travel to my brother-in-law's graduation that I'll be going to the capital of the cicada's empire, Indiana. I can't wait to be lulled to sleep by their war cry. I had no idea that they were so prevalent in the Midwest, in Indiana and Ohio. Absolutely none. Um, Dave Miller from Tampa. 
ButcherBox is offering a very limited time item, two-pound bags of dried cicadas. Don't worry, <laughs> Mr. Tony. ButcherBox has heard your request for more stuff and will be sending you as many bags as you want. Just grated over the Cincinnati chili? Yeah. I, I don't mm. like Cincinnati chili at all. It's got uh, chocolate in it. Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, Roberto Ventura. So far, the cicadas have not made it down to Richmond. The only possible reason, the Occoquan exit. Yeah, how could they not be in Richmond? How is that possible? Yeah, quiet gets you every time. And from Robert Burke, you said on Wednesday's useless show, filled with what felt like interminable nonsense, and I quote, this show, it doesn't make anyone better. It's just the thing I do. How <laughs> dare you, sir? Also, we're enjoying the whirring vibrato chorus of the cicadas here in Columbia, Maryland, too. Jamie saw a bird eating one and immediately had to throw out her chicken soup. She's contemplating vegetarianism for the next six weeks. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Look, look at like the Michigan man. Right. Look at the Michigan man. Uh <laughs> Standing on the edge of crazy, waiting on you. Everything about you makes me want to be with you. Standing on the edge of crazy, burning for you. Deep down inside, hope you feel it too. You say you're taking some time to find out what you need from love And for now, you're just happy I'm there Having yourself some fun But you need to see that you mean everything to me Depending on what you decide will make or break me got me standing on the edge of crazy loving you everything about you makes me want to be with you standing on the edge of crazy yearning for you deep down inside hope you feel it too my friends, they tell me don't waste my time. It's not worth the wait. If she hasn't figured it out by now, it's probably too late. But when you feel the way I feel, there's really no turning back. Cause the heart knows what it wants and that's just that Now I'm standing on the edge of crazy Waiting on you Everything about you makes me need to be with you Standing on the edge of crazy I'd rather look back knowing that I told you 
you how I feel So you know my feelings are nothing are real I've always been the one you run to in your times of need Now I need to know Will you be there for me? Standing on the edge of crazy waiting on you Everything about you makes me want to be with you Standing on the edge of crazy burning for you Deep down inside, hope you feel that too down inside Hope you feel it too Deep down inside Hope you feel it too I'm here a week then see you later According to the latest data it's a once every 17 year dance of the cicadas. Midsummer 2004, Red Sox wouldn't win nevermore. John Kerry was sure to beat W. LeBron James seemed pretty good at basketball. It's a once every 17 year dance of the cicadas. 87 was a pretty nice summer. The Bengals wipe like an Egyptian. Prozac cured your bummer. Iran Contra cause a conniption. It's a once every 17 year dance of the cicadas. 1970 rock. Earth Day under Nixon's watch. Right. Riverfront and Three Rivers open their gates. Pete Rose is a lock for the Hall of Fame. It's a once every 17 year dance of the cicadas. 1953, I like Ike, the Korean War raged. 1936, Jesse Owens on the front page. 1919, you couldn't stop. Shoeless Joe and his white socks. 1902, Teddy Roosevelt rode in a car, it's true. The once every 17 year dance of the cicadas. Once every 17 years, dance of the cicadas. 